0: Your Bibles and turn to the book of Amos this morning or this evening. Amos chapter eight. I know this is a <clears throat> a missions conference. Um, this may not seem hang with me, this may not seem you may be thinking what where, wheres he going with this you'll You'll have lots of messages on the uh, I'm sure you hear lots of thoughts on the burden of missions, the passion for souls, the, uh, uh, um, those sorts of things that drive the idea of missions. And again, obviously when we talk about missions, we're talking about people. We're talking about souls. And whether, whether it's here or whether it's in Africa, if, if, if your neighbor is an important soul, so is the soul in Bethel. So is the soul across the way in Russia. Missions is about souls. Uh, and you'll be hearing quite a bit about that, I'm sure, uh, over the next few days. But uh, this will... I want to bring us to the idea of the uniqueness of the opportunity in terms of we only get one chance at this. We only get one chance. Amos chapter 8 and verse number 1 is one of the five visions of uh, Amos. <clears throat> and we're just going to use the... Uh, we're not going to get into the rest of the chapter. We're just going to use the, uh, the, the, the imagery of this particular vision. Um, Uh, Amos chapter 8, verse number 1 says, Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, The end is come upon my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them, Anymore, and if you read through the uh, the rest of the chapter, it talks about the judgment coming. Verse number three: there's there's dead bodies in the streets, and it paints a very dark picture. And I'm not we're not going there. That's not I'm I'm not trying to paint a picture of doom or anything. But that the the imagery though that he uses in verse number one and two, and let's step back for a second and just uh, you know context is everything, and that includes historical and a cultural context. But in the the agricultural seasons of Israel, of course, much of their uh, religious calendar and so forth re, uh, uh, coincided with the agricultural calendar. But in the Jewish agricultural seasons, uh, summer, um, and this is an important part of the image that he's presenting here, summer is not summer as we would think of it. Summer is actually the, the end of the growing season. Summer would be more akin to what we think of as the fall and the harvest of fall, um, in our, in our world, in this part of the world we live in, we, uh, for the most part, we plant in the spring, it grows through the summer, and we harvest in the fall. Well, in Israel, they, uh, for the most part, they plant in the fall. And then through the, uh, the, the winter rains, the cool season of the winter, many of the crops grow, particularly some of the grain crops, the crops grow, they grow through the, the winter, and then the summer is the harvest. And so, at the end of the summer is the end of the harvest season. So, same idea which we have in fall, um, except that's the idea represented here by summer. And some of the fruits that they would... And the fruits were picked, more or less, uh, at the end of the harvest season. So, the fruits in particular, he would be talking about uh, dates and figs and grapes and olives, that sort of thing. Um, so, the idea or the picture of a bowl of summer fruit... Um, don't just think, oh, a bowl of tasty watermelon and cherries and things like that. Well, it's probably more akin to our concept of you know, the, the fall cornucopia and, and those kinds of ideas we associate with Thanksgiving. But the idea here is this bowl of summer fruit represented um, the blessing, the, the bounty, the, the pleasant things provided by God. It represents all the, the profitability and prosperity that God had given them for that time. And he says, Amos, what do you see? I see a bowl of summer fruit. Now, the idea here, and again, we won't get into the rest of the chapter, but the idea here is God has blessed Israel with a time of plenty, with a time of blessing. That time is over. That time is passing. And they are about to move into a very, very different season of life. Summer is over. And they're about to pass into the next season now. And we'll look at this here just a little bit later. But, of course, we we see there, uh, beginning in verse number 2 and through the rest of the chapter, that picture is very, very bleak. Um, But the idea is that Israel is now passing from one season... To the next. And of course, we talk about the passing of seasons. There's a time for everything. There's a season for everything. And immediately, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes comes to mind. Let's go go there real quick. Ecclesiastes chapter. Uh, We'll look at a couple verses actually. Everybody. Uh, Probably the first verse that comes to mind is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. To everything there is a season and a time for every purpose. There's a time for prosperity, there's a time for hunger, there's a time for plenty, there's a time for cold, there's a time for warmth. In other words, there are seasons of life. Some are full of one thing, some are full of something else. And uh, go down to verse number 11. Just here's an interesting thought. Uh, it says, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. In other words, there is beauty in everything. And I don't, want, I don't want to spend too much time developing this thought right now. There's beauty in everything, but not everything is beautiful to us all the time. Everything is beautiful in his time, in its time. And some seasons are more difficult than others. Some seasons seem more blessed than others. Some seasons we seem to um, at least feel the joy and prosperity uh, than others. Um, you know, I was talking about summer here, the idea of summer, and I preached a message very similar to this at the beginning of summer uh, with our folks. And, and we, you know, in our, in our world, in our culture, summer is the uh, for most people, anyway, it's the you know, favorite time of the year. My personal is, uh, favorite uh, season is fall, which lasts about 30 seconds in Bethel. Um, but for the most part, people... Um and some of the things, I'll be honest with you, I've been out here in last for many years. There's some things about the, the, the 48 and such that I miss. I miss the fireworks and, and some of those things that go along with summer and fall. And people, at least down there, my in-laws and parents, they, they think of things like picnics and, and church outings and the gardening and, and those sorts of things. Uh, I get uh, You'd be surprised. We have a big Fourth of July, one of our biggest events of the year in Bethlehem. We have a big 4th of July to do, and then we have the the dog sled race in January, the K300. Uh, Those are our biggest events of the year, and uh, you'd be surprised how many times people ask, uh, visitors that are up there, ask, how come you guys don't do fireworks on the 4th of July? It's like, well, and he explained it to them, and they're like, oh yeah, I guess that. Kind of makes sense. But we, we often do fireworks on, uh, on, on New Year's Eve. But uh, uh, in, in Bethel and in other parts of Alaska, we associate different activities with summer. But for the most part, summer is full of recreational, enjoyable activities Things that we get out and do, and they, and they tend to be activities that we really enjoy. Uh, they tend to be things that uh, please us and relax us. They tend to be things that we get to do with, uh, we enjoy with others, and we get to enjoy with family more so than, than other times of the year. Uh, but there is a, a season for everything, and there's a time to enjoy those things, and then there's a time to enjoy other things. So there, there is a season for everything. But, it only lasts a season. In other words, the point being that change is something that must come. It has to come. By by the very nature of our existence, change will always come. Go to the book of Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8 and verse number 22 As while the earth remaineth, sea time and harvest, and cold, and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. In other other words, change will change must come. We will pass from day to night. We will pass from summer to winter. Uh, And yes, there is a season for everything, and everything is beautiful in its season, but it is only for a season. Um, here's a great illustration. Science, uh, talk about weather and such, uh, the seasons. Uh, science tells us that the, uh, uh, and I'm not a, not a brainiac, not a, not a uh, science nerd, but I enjoy some of the things with creation science, as many of you do, but one of the interesting things about uh, the very specific and very particular way that God made the earth, the, the tilt, the tilt of the earth's axis, 23, see if I remember, 23.5 degrees. It is, precise, and it is perfect, and if it was off-kilter just a little bit, as well as things like the distance from the sun, and, and many other factors that, to me, in my mind, I think scripture bears this out, God created this planet very specifically for human habitation, uh, and that is one of the proofs of that, and it, it is because of this tilt um, now, a pilot. We, we study weather and that sort of thing. And so the weather phenomenon, that sort of thing, is always pretty interesting to me. But it is because of this tilt that we have seasons. Um, the, obviously, the sun rotating 24 hours is the, the, the day and night. But it's that tilt, specifically, as the Earth orbits around the sun, that creates our seasons. Now, I, I will freely admit, there have been times, and it's usually around 1st uh, of March, when, uh, around that time, when winter really starts to get to me. It's just been. It's not so much that our winters are really bitter and cold and stuff. They just last forever. And usually around the first of March is where I, I'm. I'm done. I'm over it. I've got palm trees on my screensaver. I'm not a beach person either, but I get something really green on my screensaver at home, and you know I'm longing for for spring. But at the same time, I know we've still got several hard weeks left, and and that's when I really, really get to feel it. And, and I will I will freely admit there's time, especially that time of year when I was thinking when I, when I would think it would be wonderful if it was just summer all year long, right? It would be that's a great season. That is a great season. Wouldn't it be um, amazing if we could just live in that season all the time. Well, again, science actually tells us that uh, it wouldn't look good. And if we took that tilt out of the Earth, um, and we just wanted it to be summer all the time, it would, the, the implication would actually be drastic. It would be, it would be incredibly dramatic. And life as we know it uh, would not exist on planet Earth. Life could exist, but it would be at a very... Very different form, and and yes, it would be summer every day around around the equator. But as you go farther from the equator, it would be cold, 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 darker, 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 until you get to the point where it's uh it would be eternally winter on the poles. And most of the planet, most by far, at least seventy five, maybe eighty percent of the planet would not be able to. support any kind of plant life and therefore make life altogether inhospitable. It, just, it, would, it would dramatically change everything. And, uh, we, and we don't often appreciate, but the, uh, the fact that we do have seasons and the way the, the seasons um, kind of mix up the world around us and the atmosphere uh, brings, brings much needed changes to the planet. And we have winter so that we can have summer. And for, there, and for there to be summer, there needs to be a winter. And you can't have summer all the time without it being winter uh, someplace else. But in short, seasons come and seasons go, and they must. That is the way God designed it. And, and, and if it wasn't for that uh, very precise tilt, all of human history uh, would be vastly different. Vastly different. I, most of... Um, You think of the Industrial Revolution and the technology and things that have come about and made our lives so so very, very different in these last couple centuries. But uh, most of the technology wasn't, uh, and the power and such that went into the development of those technologies, they weren't. They didn't go out looking for ways to build a better washing machine or a steam engine or something. You know what they were looking for? They were looking for ways to get warm. And lo and behold, someone discovered coal. And uh, it's a very efficient way to get warm. And lo and behold, we can actually make a lot of power with this. And thus the Industrial Revolution and so forth. But it's all about the, the seasons and the world, uh, the way God made <clears throat> the world that we interact in. And again, in other words, w- we may not like winter as much as summer. We may not like some seasons as much as we do others. But they all serve an important purpose. And they are all beautiful in God's time. And we cannot expect, nor should we even really desire, for everything to stay the same. And and you may be, as, as I have been, and you know, there's sometimes, there's been times when i like, this is good, right here. Let's just stay right here, forever. This, this is a good season. you ever... Our, our kids are mostly all grown now. They're still at home, but mostly grown. And we've all probably experienced that time as a family when it's usually... Kids are in beds, quiet, you know, but uh, uh, you're, you're content, you're happy, and you're thinking, this is a good season of life. You know, I, I really don't look forward to the kids growing up and leaving the house. I, I wish we could just stay like this forever. And, you know, we, we go through those wonderful, profitable, blessed seasons. Um, and the fact of the matter is that I may be in a very good season, but it's not uh, about me. Um, and I may like the season of life I'm in now, but what about the people around me? They need to grow and move and get challenged and develop and change and serve. You know, I, I think about our girls. <coughs> Excuse me. I had the flu last week, so I'm still getting over a little bit of that. I don't have uh, coronavirus, so don't worry. Or do I? I don't know. Um, so forgive me. Uh, uh, our girls are call uh, Collins 14, but our girls are in their early 20s. And, you know, they're getting at that place of life where they're still at home, and uh, I'm very happy they're at home, and personally, I would be very happy if they stayed home forever. I, I know that is selfish, but I would be happy if they stayed home forever. I think it should be like the military. I'm actually quite upset at the way that we do things now. That It's a new experience for me as my kids' are, daughter are getting older, but you've put all the training, and the labor, and the teaching into them, and then sooner or later, they're going to go off and find some guy, and he's going to reap all the benefits. Like, wait a minute, that doesn't seem to work very well on, I think it should be like the military. All right, here you go, you're on your own, but I get four years out of you. Then you can go find some guy and, and do your thing, but obviously uh, I it doesn't work like that. No, nor should it. I would love for those kids to stay at home forever. But is that really what God needs, what they need? Is that really what's good for them? It's great for me. And they help tremendously in the church, and they will be, one day when they do live, when they do leave, they will be missed tremendously. And our church will have a hole when those girls do leave. But at the same time, I want them to feel or understand the pleasure of knowing God's purpose in their life and to, to experience the joy of using their lives to serve Him. And, and, and that means change. That means they may move on. Um, and that's good. And it's proper. And it, it's quite selfish of me. Uh, although I, I freely admit, I want them to stay there forever. But that's actually quite selfish. Change needs to come. And I may be in a very good place, but it's, it's not about me. But here and we get, here we get more, to the, more to the point or the idea of what I wanted to bring out here. So there is a season for everything. That season, however, only lasts a season. Once that season is gone, it's gone forever. Once that season has passed, and whether it's the summer or whether it is a season of our life, once that season is gone, it is gone forever. Now, we may have another summer. We, Lord willing, we'll have another summer, another one will roll around. Uh, but we'll never have this summer again. You can't go back and say, I, I wish I had planted a few more cucumbers, or I wish we had dipped a few more silvers out of the river. You can't. can't go back. It's too late. You had one chance at all that. You had one summer to spend wisely and efficiently and profitably for the Lord. Um, you can't ever go back to recoup some of those losses. Or, I wish I had done this. Let's go back and do it over. It's uh, uh, gonna <laughs> My folks don't care at our church when I tell stuff like this, but uh, forgive me if I offend somebody tonight. I, I think this stuff is absolutely fascinating, but uh, I'm, a, I'm a big history buff, and my, my daughters are too for the most part. Um, somebody gave us a set of uh, DVDs on uh, uh, these historical recreations, these documentaries, and uh, some of you have probably seen some of these. They're actually quite fascinating. They go live on an English farm from the 1600s for a year, and they they document the seasons and the agriculture and so forth. Um, But in one of these, they made a uh, documentary on uh, uh, a 19th century pharmacy in England. And I dabble, I'm an EMT, so I have some interest in medicine. I know very little, uh, but uh, those kinds of things at least interest me, and I find some fascination in them. most of the medicine in the, 1700s, or in the 1800s was very little different from the Middle Ages. It was fairly barbaric, some of that. And it wasn't until the introduction of germ theory later in the late 1800s that things really began to change. And so many of the practices through the 1800s here in America, as well as in England, um, had very, it changed very little from the 1500s. And the... Uh, uh, we were watching this. I had never seen this before, heard of this before. Um, everybody heard of, Anybody ever heard of what they used to call the everlasting pill? Or they used to call it the perpetual pill. You ever heard of that? Oh, you're going to love this. Oh, you're going to love this. Uh, they were talking about the everlasting pill. And um, so back in the day, they used to, um, and this was the uh, one of... <clears throat> The, the most prevalent, I guess, theories in medicine at the time. Again, yeah, it goes back for centuries, but they were still practicing this up, really up until the mid-second half of the 1800s. But the idea behind, um, behind medicine at the time was that uh, the body consisted of, depends on what list you look at, <coughs> four or five, they call them humors. And there was black humor, green humor, so forth. And so, like, for example, when I just coughed, uh, you were expelling one of the humors when you blow your nose, when you vomit, when you go to the bathroom, you were expelling one of the humors. And the theory was, you're expelling that because your body needs to get rid of it. You have too much. And therefore, a lot of medicine revolved, and, and the blood was one of them, and that's the, where the idea of bloodletting and leeches and that kind of thing comes from. But the idea was, if you could release some of the humors, it would aid in the healing of the body. And so, again, not to, not to get too gross or too descriptive, but they, uh, they loved, this was especially in Elizabethan English, this was uh, in England, this was a, a very, very big deal. They loved what they would call purging. And they would vomit and diarrhea and so forth. And to them, they thought, this is good stuff, right? We're getting rid of the humors. They loved a good purging. And uh, they would just, all of a sudden, one day, they would just wake up and say, hey, honey, I think I'm going to purge today. And uh, it sounds so, thank God for modern medicine. It sounds so incredibly medieval and barbaric, and it was. But one of the, one of the ways they would do this is they, uh, they would take what was called an everlasting pill. And uh, the pill was, again, long before we understood such things, the pill was made of, and they had different methods of doing this, mixing it in wine and so forth, but the pill was made of antimony which is a, a toxic heavy metal. Uh, now we understand that it is, it's highly poisonous. It's highly toxic. Um, but they would have a, literally a metal ball. It's looks like a musket ball. They'd have a metal ball of antimony, and they'd swallow it. And they would swallow it. It wouldn't they would absorb some of the heavy metal as it went through the mucus lining of the intestinal tract and so forth. They would absorb just enough to make them sick. It wouldn't actually kill them, although in time, yet yeah, obviously the effects accumulate and there's some uh, famous deaths that have been attributed to some of these antimony treatments. But uh, um, they would, of course, eventually pass this. And in the meantime, the body had absorbed enough of the poison that stuff is just coming out all over the place. Uh, both ends, and you're just living in the bathroom the whole day. They love that stuff. I mean, it sounds incredibly disgusting, but they love that. That's a good pur- man. That was a good day. That was a good purge. But here's the now. Here's here's the part you'll remember forever and ever. It was called the everlasting pill because let's. I don't know how to say this discreetly, but you would, you'd take the bedpan and the contents of it, and you'd go in there and fish out that pill, and then you'd wash it off and put it on the mantle. And they even had decorative little tins and boxes, these little presentation boxes for these, and that's why it's called the everlasting pill. Um, and these things were actually handed down as heirlooms. No, no joke. And they were very serious about this sort of thing. They would actually, a grandfather, you know, for example, would pass on his everlasting pill to his grandson. Uh, and, and it was a very beloved and precious gift. Now, can you, can you imagine... That today, it, we've been using this for years, gone so here, taking a good health. Uh, we, obviously, we don't do that anymore. And that's where the, that's where the name came from, the everlasting pill. These, would, these, these pills would last for generations. The, uh, same, the same family would use them for generations until really wasn't until the very, very end of the 1800s <clears throat> that we started to realize that eh, it's probably not a good idea. And uh, there's still some of them around. You could still... Uh, I- anyway... Here, Life is not like that, all right? Life is not like the everlasting pill. There's a reason why we don't just swallow things over and over and over again. Uh, I wish, sometimes I wish, sometimes I wish life was like that. Redo, okay, go pick it out, wash it off, clean it up, let's go at it again. It, it doesn't. It doesn't work that way. We get one chance, and then it's gone. Some of you guys remember that forever now, but uh, sorry, sorry about that. Your kids will probably be talking about that for, for, for a month now. Um, the everlasting (laughs) so here's the question then and we'll come to a close with this Um, life's not like that we have seasons change comes as it must things come things go some seasons are more difficult than others some seasons feel like winter and even though we might not Emotionally sense the, the blessings of God or the, <clears throat> the happiness or contentment or fulfillment that may come with other seasons, it is still beautiful and it is still necessary. Change comes, seasons come, season go, God, go, uh, goes, see, God moves us from one season to the next as it, we are meant to and as we're supposed to. But again, that, the thought being, once that season is gone, it is gone forever. We'll never, ever get that back. Now, we can... That's why I say you, you'll, hear, you'll hear thoughts on, on the, uh, you know, the, uh, the burden of mission, the passion of mission, the, the urgency for souls and all that. This is about the, the singular uniqueness of the opportunity. We only get one chance. And as, as uh, God was directing the prophet here, he says, what do you see? Is a bowl of summer fruit. This is the product... Of our labor, this is the product of our summer, and we can apply the same principle to uh, our summer. What did you do this summer? Did you do anything that lasted for eternity? You can apply it to a day in your life. We can apply it to the idea of the rest of our lives. And, and as I'm getting older, uh, one of the things that I uh, have come to realize that uh, uh, time is our most precious resource. Uh, you know, when you're younger, you see lots of that ahead of you. And now as you're you're climbing up those years, you realize there's not as many ahead of me as there used to be, and you realize it's once it's gone, it is gone forever. I don't ever get that day back, and that becomes very, very precious. That becomes very important. Um, and again, we can apply these principles to uh, the, the the times of our lives and the seasons of our lives, but we can also. We can also apply this to the idea of souls, to the idea of missions. And that's what missions is all about. It's all about souls. God has given us resources. He's given us abilities. He's given us opportunities. Sometimes we get a second chance of those opportunities. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes it is you get one chance. You get one shot. But God has given us those things. and, And one day... One day, God will be, as we pass from one season to the next, God will say, what do you see there? And you'll say, I see a bowl of, I don't know, what's in it? Is it a bowl of, of summer fruit, the result of prosperity, the result of God's blessing? And, uh, or to put it another way, when you stand before the Lord one day and your, your, your wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, etc. Is, is all laid out there in the open, how much of that actually makes a difference? In eternity. How much of that has any value in eternity? And again, we can apply that uh, in a very practical way to the idea of missions and soul winning. We, you know, we, especially people of my generation, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm getting, getting older. I'm not as young as I used to be. And I work at, somebody was asking me about it earlier, I work, I work a part-time job there in Bethel. I work at the, uh, uh, just kind of an on-call type thing, at the, the uh, juvenile detention facility there in Bethel. Tremendous outreach. Most of them are native kids from the villages. <coughs> But, uh, you know, they're you know, 14, 16, 17. To, to those guys, I'm an old fogey. And uh, sometimes I feel it. Uh, and I'm getting up there. And there's some generational differences now that didn't used to be there. But uh, people like me, you know, we look at the, uh, you know, kind of the Xbox generation. The, the, the teen that, that sits there and just and, and wastes hours upon hour. Well, actually, a lot of adults do the same thing now. It's not a teen thing anymore. But just waste hour upon hour upon hour. Um, with gaming, that sort of thing. And we we look at that and say, what an absolute waste of time, right? You just blew your whole summer. You'll never get that time back. But the reality is that, and certainly that that is true, it's absolutely true, but from from the perspective of eternity, um, in reality, do we fill our days with anything that's really any more productive than that? Um, do we really fill the times of our lives and the seasons of lives with things that make a difference in eternity? And I'm not trying to, to suck the fun out of life and I'm not saying sell all your toys and, and don't go hunting and fishing anymore. I'm not saying anything like that. All, again, everything is beautiful in its season. There's a time for everything. Um, and, and so much the better, so much uh, all the more the better when those things can be used to aid in things of eternal value, like family relationships and reaching lost folks and that sort of thing. Israel is, he's a perfect example of this. He's one of those guys, I don't know how he does this. He's got some kind of magic formula dialed in, but he, he goes out there and spends time in the woods and shoots things and, and collects, and it's all in, in ministry. It's like, how do you, how do you do that? You get to go out there and shoot things and enjoy the wilderness and it's still ministry. How do how do you figure that one out? Um, so, I'm not, we get, to, and I think recreation, I think being able to relax and spend time away from the cares of life, spend time, all that is absolutely important and even necessary. It's very, very healthy. And I'm, <clears throat> I'm not saying for a moment that we have to take all of that out. But in the midst of all that, are we really thinking about what's important? In the midst of all that, are we really thinking about does this matter in eternity? And once this time is gone, It is gone forever. And I can't ever go back and say, I wish I had spent that time more wisely. Years ago, and I'll finish up here, years ago, um, when we used to live in Anchorage a long time ago, or in Eagle River, and I worked at a, um, what's it called, Uh, a funeral home here, Evergreen. It's still there downtown. I used to work there years ago, part-time. Lots of good stories. Lots of good stories at the funeral home. Actually, working at the funeral home was great ministerial training. But uh, one of the uh, very tragic things that I learned there, <coughs> uh, working at the funeral home and going to the, because we'd often go to the homes right after a person had passed, and, and sometimes uh, we, we were literally the first call that they made, especially expected deaths, that sort of thing. So we would, we would often get there like literally moments, minutes after they had passed. Only, only one time did I get there before they actually passed, and that was not good. That was, that, that was bad. Uh, Usually we were there after the fact. But oftentimes we'd show up, and this person had just passed moments ago. And uh, one of the things that I found out is it's, it's, it's often about, you know, it's about the family. It's about dealing with the family. And, and one of the things that I found that was kind of surprising, I just never had a lot of experience with this, but I found people, you know, again, this is fresh. This just happened. So they're grieving, they're sorrowing in a very fresh way. <clears throat> but they often wanted to talk about, of course, they wanted to tell you about Grandpa. And Dad, show you the pictures and that sort of thing. And so you'd often spend 20, 30, 40 an hour just, just with the family, visiting with the family before you took care of business. Um, and uh, you know, they wanted to show you the pictures and all this sort of thing. But they often would talk about their very last moments and the last words that they said. And one of the things that I always found, so by, by the way, here's, a, here's another subject entirely. I found that there is a huge difference a huge difference between the funeral of a lost person and the funeral of a saved person. Big difference. Um, another, another topic, though. But I, I always thought... <clears throat> so I heard a lot of these stories. And uh, one of the things that struck me right away as I began working there is it's, it's so tragic. It was so sad that oftentimes those very last thoughts expressed were ones of regret. And um, ma- many of the stories I was told... Uh, and it's maybe different in other people's experience, but in my experience, many of the times the story that I, stories that I were t- was told was uh, um, not, kind of not reminiscing and, and thinking of all the good things in their life. One of the comments that I heard all the time was they said, I wish I had done this. I wish I had taken the grandkids to Disneyland last year. Uh, I wish I had done this. I wish I had done that. No, I, I can tell you this for a fact. Nobody ever lays on their deathbed thinking, I wish I had the 2022 model of that truck. No, nobody ever nobody ever lays there and says, I wish I had spent the extra three bucks a square foot for the good carpet in the bedroom. They, they don't care about stuff like that anymore. Um, and I often thought it was just so incredibly sad that so many people's last moments were full of, I wish. I wish I had done this. They full of regrets. And... What I don't want for us to happen is that, and and the sad part of this story, in this case, in the case of Amos, the sad part of this story is that uh, uh, the the season has passed, there has been a time of plenty, but God says, that season is gone, I will pass by you no more, and he goes on to present this very bleak picture of judgment, of loss, of chastening. Um, And another way of looking at this is God has told Israel, you wasted it. You wasted it. You lost it. You had something no other nation in the world has, and you wasted it. And one day, you and I will stand before God, and we will give account for uh, our day, for our month, for our summer, for our life, for our work in missions and in soul winning. Um, And one day, we'll have a similar picture presented to us. What do you see? You know, here was your life. Here was your season. What is the result of all that? And we may have, we may able to, we may, we may be able to present the bowl of summer fruit before God, and and, and present the uh, the things that we did that made a difference, that mattered, that lasted throughout eternity, or some will just have a bowl that's full of, I wish. I had spent more time doing that. I wish I had committed more. Now I realize the importance of all that. I wish I had not just given financially and put things in the offering plate, a faith promise. I wish I had told mom, dad, cousin, aunt, I wish I had done this. We get one chance at this, folks. And sometimes, some of the opportunities, God's gracious enough. I <laughs> am the perfect example. I was told a couple people today, the fact that I missed the flight yesterday, it's my fault, completely my fault. It looked like everything was booked up till Saturday. And that was, that was going to be bad. For, for many reasons, that was going to be very bad. Um, that was going to create some serious family disharmony. <laughs> if I didn't get out of there Saturday. Um, it was my fault, completely my fault. And I said, thank God. He has mercy on us sometimes in spite in spite of our own uh, incompetencies sometimes and sometimes God gives us a second chance at those opportunities sometimes. We may neglect the Spirit when He says, speak to them. Uh, see how they're doing. There's something wrong there. They need you today. Sometimes we neglect that, and sometimes maybe that's the only chance we'll ever get. Sometimes God's gracious enough that we get another opportunity. But in terms of this day, this summer, this life, this is it. We only get one chance. It is a wonderful season, and one day my season will be over, and it will be the season of my children and the season of my grandchildren. And they will get to experience and enjoy the pleasure of serving God uh, in their lives. But when my season is over, it is over. And I will never, ever get to come back and redo that. And I, I hope, I trust, I pray, and I'm sure that every one of us, at least has a desire, to just one day stand before God and say, here is my bowl of summer fruit. And we can be like Israel in the sense of the season has passed, now you're moving on to something much more difficult. Now you're moving on to something, a period of tremendous loss and judgment and pain and sorrow and suffering because of how you wasted the previous season. Or, uh, one day we may be able to stand before God and say, Lord, here it is. It wasn't the best, it wasn't perfect, but I did what I could. Um, and I trust that as you go through the next few days, and I, I will be leaving uh, today. My family's already in the 48. I'm going down to join them late uh, tonight. So I won't, unfortunately, I won't be here to hear the rest of the messages in your, um, in your conference and your preaching. But I, I know there'll be some tremendous thoughts and uh, scripture, scriptural ideas and so forth presented to you this week. But as you go through this process of, of renewal, of the missions, renewing the missions commitments and so forth, just remember, we only have one chance. And we can do something that matters in eternity, or we can turn those resources to some and I don't mean I don't want it to sound like you just you're such a selfish person, but we can take those things and, and do things that not aren't necessarily inherently evil or wicked or sinful, but do they really matter? Does it really make a difference in eternity? We got one chance and we'll never have it again, Pastor if you'd,